Salvation comes from the Lord. Lord, we just want to acknowledge it's you that we look to as we've gathered here this evening. It's not to any particular person or set of beliefs. It's to you, the Lord God, who created this world, who sent his Son to live and die for us, who raised him from the dead, and he ascended into heaven to be with you. And Lord, it's to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we look this evening. And we thank you, Lord, that you choose to continue to speak into our lives. So we pray that by your Spirit this evening, you would whisper your encouragements, your challenges into our hearts this evening. May we hear you speaking to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're on Jonah, chapter 2, and you might want to have it in your Bibles. Um, just to check that I'm, what I'm talking about actually is there. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we're thinking, yes, about what happens next in the story of Jonah. Um, it ain't working. Oh, it did. Good. Okay. Last May, Matthew Bryce, the picture of this young man is just here on the screen, was surfing off the northwest of Scotland. You may remember his story. When he didn't return home, uh, his family reported him as missing. He was, in fact, 32 hours at sea, floating further and further away from land. He said, I was pretty certain I was going to die. And the sun was beginning to set, and he thought to himself, I won't be alive by sunrise. So he made peace with himself, and he prepared to die. Then, some hours later, he heard a helicopter overhead. He jumped off his board and began to wave in the air, frantically to attract the attention of the helicopter. But the helicopter continued to fly on. For a moment, he thought they hadn't seen him. And then it turned around, and the rescue mission saved his life. Matthew, rather shaken, was interviewed by a BBC reporter, and he said, it was the worst and the greatest moment of my life. I think our runaway prophet Jonah may have said the same thing as he reflects on being swallowed by a giant fish, the worst and the greatest moment of my life. And if you were here last week, you remember that we were talking, we were looking at the, at the story of Jonah. It began when Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh and tell the people that God knew about their wickedness. But instead, he decides to go in the opposite direction. He jumps on a boat that's heading south. He thinks he can run away from God. But God sends a storm, a storm that's so fierce that even the hardened sailors are petrified. Meanwhile, Jonah is asleep below deck. And the pagan captain of the ship, he can't believe that Jonah's asleep, and he wakes him up and he tells him to pray. You see, the sailors recognize God's hand in all that's going on, and so they cast lots to discover who's responsible for the storm, and the lot falls to Jonah. And Jonah's advice is, pick me up and throw me into the sea. The sailors are understandably reluctant to do this, so they try and row back to land. But it's hopeless, so they offer a quick prayer to absolve themselves from any responsibility, and they throw Jonah overboard. And what happened? The sea grew calm. One, uh, one writer 
um, reflecting on Jonah's story, says, God arranged both the crisis and the solution. And as we consider Jonah's life, and in particular his prayer this evening, let's think about how God sometimes brings us into a crisis so that we look to him to find the solution. And I've got three headings which might be helpful for you this evening. Jonah admits that he's helpless. Jonah gains a new perspective. And Jonah depends on God's grace. So let's start with Jonah admits he's helpless in verses 1 to 6. We said last week, for many people, the story of Jonah and the whale is just a Sunday school story. But actually, there are rich lessons in this book um, for us to learn in Jonah's life. Because actually, Jonah is no hero in this story. When compared with others, he doesn't compare very favorably. It seems that everyone and everything else in the story obey God except Jonah. Whether it's the wind or a whale or a worm, they all obey God but not Jonah. And I think this is partly where the appeal for us certainly is for me of the story of Jonah, because he's a person like us. He's full of inconsistencies, contradictions, failures, and yet God chooses him to be a prophet. It's ironic, isn't it, that God should choose a runaway Jewish runaway prophet to be instrumental in turning a whole nation around to him. And yet God had made that clear to the Jewish people hundreds of years before when they were traveling through Egypt to the promised land. He said to them, the Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you. And we know that we've been chosen by God, not because of anything that we are or our family background or where we live, but because he loves us. No other reason. So we've much to learn from Jonah's experience of being called by God. And we're going to begin by looking um, at his prayer life. Let's look in verse 1. Verse 1 says, From inside the fish... Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Jonah prays from inside the whale. I don't know if you've got a favorite place to pray. Maybe down by the river. Maybe it's a quiet place in your home. But Jonah prays from quite an unexpected place, the belly of a great fish. And what's interesting is it's a prayer of thanksgiving. He's thanking God because... He's literally been fished out of the water by a great fish. You see, the crisis was the storm, and the great fish was the solution. He's been saved from drowning. So in verse 2, he says, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Jonah is helpless He's just been thrown into the sea and he's sinking down and he cries out to the Lord to rescue him. We talked about this last week, but you you could argue that his descent began as he's thrown overboard. But actually, it it, it actually started before that point. Because when God called him, he goes in the opposite direction. And from then onward, the direction is downward. He goes down to Joppa. Then he gets on a boat that's going south to Tarshish. 
And once aboard, aboard, aboard the boat, he goes below deck, thinking he's found a hiding place. And now his descent continues as he sinks down in the cold waters to the bottom of the sea. In verse 3, he recognizes it was God who threw him overboard. He says, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. As he sinks down in the water, the currents swirl around him. We can almost taste the fear of that terrifying description of being thrown overboard. Look in verse 5. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. As he sinks down in the sea, the seaweed begins to wrap him like a mummy being prepared for a tomb. And then as he sinks to the bottom, he describes his watery tomb in verse 6. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. As he reaches the bottom of the sea, it's, it's as if he's locked in a tomb, barred in at the bottom of the ocean. So th if this is a prayer, what does it teach us about prayer? Well, I think there are two things which are, which are particularly instructive for us. Firstly, Jonah's prayer is marked by thanksgiving. Jonah, at this point, isn't asking God to rescue him as he prays. He was thanking God that he'd been rescued from a certain death. He says in verse 9, But I, with shouts of grateful praise, was sacrificed to you. Much of the language, actually, that's used in, in Jonah's prayer reminds us of the Psalms. In fact, writers say that nearly every phrase that Jonah uses can be found in the Psalms. You may recognize some of them, like um, all your waves and breakers swept over me in verse 3. Those words come from Psalm 42, verse 7, which says, Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. And some people have said, you know, the, these words were just added on later. But more likely, it shows that Jonah was well-schooled in the Jewish book of prayer, which was the Psalms. And um, one writer, Eugene Patterson, says that the Psalms can divide, be divided into two types, either laments or thanksgiving. They re relate either to our experience of joy and great things happening, or those of sadness and even despair. So what's interesting here is that Jonah prays a prayer of thanksgiving. He's in a dark, confined, and smelly place, and yet he's giving thanks. Again, the writer Eugene Peterson puts it brilliantly. He says, God, sorry, Jonah had chosen to pray a prayer that was at variance with his circumstances. Isn't that great? Jonah had chosen to pray a prayer that was at variance with his circumstances. And I don't know what your circumstances are right now, but are you ready to pray a prayer that contradicts, that's at variance with your circumstances, to thank God for all that he's done when all around you life may be really quite tough. The second thing we see about Jonah's prayer is that he recognises his helplessness. I don't know if you've seen the book by Tim Keller. I don't know if any of you read any of Tim Keller's stuff. He's written a book on prayer. Really, really good. I'd recommend it. The first two chapters are a bit heavy, but once you get beyond that, it's really good stuff. And he quotes somebody called Ole Hallersby, who defines 
prayer as this. He says, it's an attitude of the heart and mind characterized primarily as helplessness. He says, only he who is helpless can truly pray. And Tim Keller also quotes Augustine, who said, you cannot pray until you account yourself desolate in this world. You can't pray until you count yourself as desolate in this world. But I don't know about you, but often when I do feel alone and desolate and hopeless and in need of help, prayer is sometimes the last thing I think of doing. But prayer actually is for those who have no other option, no other resort. To, to, to pray is, is to accept that we are and always will be totally dependent on God for everything. I have some friends, um, and Irene shared this on um, Thursday night in the, in the growth group, so some of you may have heard this story already. Um, uh, but we've got some friends over in Oldham. They're um, from Nigeria. Um, and uh, recently their case um, came before the immigration courts. They've been waiting uh, four years to get through the system. And because of their particular situation, they had no access to public funds. So they had no benefits, and they weren't allowed to work. They have two children, and life, life has been tough for them, really tough. But the husband, who's come from a Muslim background, came to faith in Jesus. His wife was a Christian. He was a Muslim, but he had dreams of Jesus in this country, which I think is very interesting that he had dreams in this country. And he saw Jesus on the cross calling him, and, and he gave in to Jesus. And he's now, a, and I had the privilege of baptizing him and his two children. Um, but they had to face this difficulty, this storm, if you like, of, 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 a, of a court case. And they were desperate. They'd been to court a number of times and nothing was happening. So they began fasting and praying. And what they did was, from four o'clock uh, in the afternoon, every day, they wouldn't, after four o'clock, they wouldn't eat or drink. And then they would pray for two hours from 12 midnight to 2 a.m. for days and days and days before their court case. You see, they were, they were absolutely helpless. And prayer was the only thing they had left. Where else could they go? And do you know what? They won their case. And he had a dream the night before we went to, I went to court with them. And he had a dream that in court, um, everyone will be silenced. And I didn't understand what he meant when he told me. But we went into court. The barrister was amazing. The barrister summed up the case and said how ridiculous it was. It had taken so long. The Home Office barrister had nothing to say. The judge just had no questions. They were only in court for 10 minutes. And we came out, we went for coffee, and they shared with the social worker who wasn't a Christian, you know, how God had answered their prayer. Prayer is for those who are helpless. Not hopeless, but helpless. When we're weak, then we can be strong. Because when we've reached that point where we recognize that God is our only hope, then we're ready to see God intervene. And it's to God's rescue that we turn next as we see that Joshua, Joshua, where'd that come from? My son's home, he's called Joshua. Jonah gains a new perspective. We often pretend, don't we, to each other, we can cope with what life throws at us. And we wear masks so much of the time to hide the pain and the despair that we feel. And we even think we can hide from God. We fall into the Facebook trap. You know of... Um, 
presenting an ideal image, idealized image of ourselves. We put, you know, how people do on Facebook, they put photos of, maybe you're not into Facebook, but what people do is they put photos of themselves having fun and life is great and everything, but actually it may not be that great because they want people to like their posts. We're afraid, aren't we, to say that we're struggling with life because we're afraid of rejection. But you know what? Our, our runaway prophet here, Jonah, does something right. He's honest. He prays where he is in a smelly belly of a fish and admits his helplessness. Like I say, sometimes we think that it's better we wait until we're in a better place, in a better state of mind, until we start to pray. But no, God wants to hear us pray from the place of helplessness, to hear us say that we need a rescuer. And Jonah had been looking for a place to hide. He'd gone down below deck. But actually, the only safe place to find refuge and solace is in God. The psalmist says, my soul finds rest in God alone. And this is what Jonah does. And so he's able to say in the second part of verse 6, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. He'd been rescued. He'd been saved. He'd learned that deliverance was out of his hand. It was only God who could rescue him. So why is it that prayer is often the last thing that we think of doing rather than it being our first response? Jonah says, in verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you in your holy temple. As Jonah felt his life ebbing away, he chose to respond with prayer. And the thing about prayer is that it puts God back into the picture. Tim Keller says this. He says just mentioning our needs to God when we pray almost immediately forces us to think differently about them. Because it's in prayer that we're reminded that we're loved and that we're cared for more than we ever know. Or we actually realize that some of our concerns are a result of our own selfish preoccupations. But prayer takes us to a place which is bigger than our own small ideas and preoccupations. Eugene Patterson says, prayer rescues us from ourselves and pulls us, pulls us into adoration when we started our christian life we thought about this thought about this this morning we started with the realization that we needed a rescuer that on our own we were drowning in our own sin but it was only by god's grace that we could be saved we brought nothing to the rescue package we just looked to jesus to save us so then why is it when we become mature christians do we find when we find ourselves in desperate situations we act as if god has changed that now somehow we have to rescue ourselves rather than depending on him. We move to our final point, that Jonah depends on God's grace in verses 8 to 10. Our Scottish surfer learned very quickly that his surfboard was of limited help in a desperate situation. His only hope was to be rescued by the helicopter. But just imagine if he just kept hanging on to his surfboard and ignored the rescue mission that flew over his head. Jonah appears to have learned a very significant lesson, which he shares with us in verses 8 to 10. He says in verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. The older version of the NIV translates that quite a little bit differently. It says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace 
that could be theirs. Jonah had been three days in the belly of a fish. He'd had enough time to reflect on the reckless, his reckless plan to run away from God's call. And by running away, Jonah, Jonah had shown that God was not first in his life, that he was more interested in something else. But aren't we also prone to the same thing? To take the gifts that God gives us and turn them into something else. It might be our career that we're chasing after, or our family, or beauty, or friendship, or sport. Good things that God has given us to enjoy, but wonderful as these gifts are, they can never replace the giver of the gifts. Because the greatest joy in life is to know the God, is to know God, the giver of the gifts that we enjoy, to know his forgiveness, enjoy his presence, save, savor his, his word and feed on his word. But when we make things that God has given us to enjoy more important than these gifts, we make idols out of them. And I think this is what Jonah's reflecting on. He's saying that if we make other aspirations, relationships, desires, destinations more important than God, we are creating idols. Idols that promise so much, that deliver so little. And J Jonah knew that when you're sinking, when you're sinking, an idol will not help you float. The only way to really live is to get rid of that idol and to cling to God. And this is what repentance means. It means that we recognize that our hearts have been turned to other gods and we must stop our pursuit of them and turn back to him. God wants to pour his grace into our lives so that we can live through these difficult circumstances we find ourselves in. If we cling to idols, we miss the grace and the, God, and the love that God longs to pour into our lives. And so Jonah ends his prayer in verse 9 with three short statements. He says, But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah experienced the power of God and God uses his power to save. He did it for Jonah and he will do it for us. So in conclusion, we see God intervening in a dramatic way in Jonah's life. He stops him as he runs away. He arranges both the crisis and the solution. And of course, God's normal way of speaking to us as Christians is through his word. But there are times in our lives when we become deaf to him, when we run away or we become close our ears or our attention to what God is calling us to do. And it's at times like these that God may well bring us into a Jonah experience. But let's, as we just end, just pray together and ask that whatever situation we're in, we'd learn to trust in God and to admit our need of him. Father, thank you so much for Jonah's prayer. Thank you that it was recorded in your word for us to learn. And Lord, we are not embarrassed or ashamed to admit that in our lives we need you. And we're, and we're happy to be able to say, Lord, that without you, we're nothing. We need you. We need uh, you in our lives to guide us, to help us, to lead us, to help us to be effective for you. And so thank you, Lord, for what you've taught us this evening and help us this week to live in that dependence on you that we might be able to praise you and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.